Now let's look at our scripture that can be found on the inside of the bulletin. This is Luke 2, 1 through 7, the story of the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. Luke 2, 1 through 7, it can be found on the inside of your bulletin. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The word of the Lord. Well, there are a host of Christmas traditions and hoops that one must jump through uh, in all stages of life, I might add. And uh, as I was fondly looking over our Christmas uh, uh, precious memories, creative memories that my wife has painstakingly crafted. I remembered when we had young children and we did the annual pilgrimage to go see Santa. Hopefully we have. Uh, here is my oldest, also known as the yummy head, Mark, with Santa. It was a time of precious memories. You stand in line, you choose your package, and if all goes well, it's a very pleasant time as you go back to your house and remark about. But all does not necessarily go well, parents. Let's look at our next slide here. I think this was the next. I'm not sure who's the more disappointed. Santa, Mark, or Elmo? Uh, <laughs> you can see the look of just pure frustration in Santa's face. How the heck did I end up with this job? Um, that, I think we maybe went one more time, and that's when we called it off. So uh, needless to say, if you have young children and are heading to Santa, you just roll those dice, uh, give the child some sort of snack, and try to get in and out on a Tuesday or someplace. Because if you go at noon on Saturday, you're toast, I'm just saying. By the way, you know, Santa Claus, the story of Santa Claus, St. Nicholas is real, by the way, Santa, and alive. Um, St. Nicholas was the Bishop of Smyrna in the uh, AD 325. And there's a reason Santa gives gifts. And it's because that St. Nicholas, uh, who was wealthy, his parents died uh, when he was young. And uh, as St. Nicholas grew, he, gave, he was known for his generosity and he gave away the family fortune, uh, giving gifts to people who were in need. Um, so we're going to talk a lot more about Santa in Christ and culture, but... Uh, you know, the reason I, I bring that up is because often things in life, particularly in Christmas, are hidden. They're hidden beneath these layers either of tradition and culture, and they have to be discovered. They have to be uncovered. It seems that in life, the best things in the world are often hidden. They have to be discovered. I think of falling in love with my wife in the beginning you know, I don't know if it was love at first sight for you, but my first comment when I saw my wife was, wow, she has a lot of hair. But slowly that friendship and relationship grew, and, and I remember the enjoyment of spending time with her and getting to know her as love began to grow. 
Friendship is like that too, isn't it? It's hidden. It has to be discovered and uncovered as you spend time together. The kingdom of heaven is described as treasure hidden in a field. Why would it be hidden in a field? One has to go looking for it, so to speak. And when the man found it, he had to pay all that he had in order to take possession of it. The path to possession of those precious things that are hidden often takes twists and turns, requires some sort of discovery coming upon it, a decision to pursue it, actions that need to be taken, and finally, the completion as that which you desire comes to fruition. That's the story of Christmas. It's the story of Mary and Joseph, isn't it? They're discovered this truth that is laid upon them that there will be one who will come from your womb, Mary, who will be the Son of God. And the decision to follow in the path, I am the Lord's servant, let it be to me as you have said. See, they said yes to who? But they had no idea how. And so in the story of Mary and Joseph coming together, going to Bethlehem, we see the beginning and the middle and the end of how God works when He reveals those things that are most precious to Him. And we see the timeless spiritual truth that the path of the completely surrendered always leads to a collision with the King. Let us follow Mary and Joseph's path and examine our own. For if we walk the path of the completely surrendered, as they did, it will most certainly lead to a collision with God's kingdom and God's King, Jesus Christ. Well, the first point I want to make as we look at Mary and Joseph's story is that circumstances are God's tool to accomplish His purposes. I'll say it again. Circumstances are God's tool to accomplish His promises and His purposes. Luke 2.1, we see in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the, all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, I love the Scriptures because many people say, oh, the Scriptures, they're just sort of, the Bible is a fanciful tale, a bunch of legends. Now, legends start out with something like this. Once upon a time, they don't start out with a decree going out from Caesar Augustus listing when someone was the governor of Syria. These things that we are talking about are firmly rooted in history, real occurrences with real people. And so this decree goes out from Augustus that the whole world should be registered. Now when a Caesar did something like this, it was really only for two purposes. We want to know how many people there are so we can either tax them or we can discover how many folks of fighting military age are available. This was a call to allegiance, if you will. We want to know who you are because your money and your time belongs to Caesar. And so the whole world was forced to comply. We believe the whole world at that time was about 45 million people bowing, making movements because of the decree of one man. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was the house and lineage of David. It's very interesting. When you look at this census, 
one of the things that you discover is that in the other countries that were not Jewish, they did not require people to go back to their ancestral home. But rather because of the patrilineal uh, descent of Israel and how firmly rooted they were in their genealogies and where they came from, that was the decision of how Israel was to go about this census. And so Joseph was forced to go to Bethlehem. And so we discovered that while Augustus is making his decree, God is making his own decree. For does it not say that he brings the princes to naught and reduces the rulers of the world to nothing? No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, that he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. God orchestrates the movement of 45 million people so that Mary and Joseph will end up in the city of David. And so they go. We see that Joseph goes, and we also see that he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. I've spoken some about this, but I want to speak some more about it. Because we have to ask the question, why is it that Mary went? The census did not require women to go. Women could not fight. They had no income. Certainly Mary had no income. And so there was no reason for the women to go. It was the men who needed to go. Additionally, Mary was not even married to Joseph. We see they were in the betrothal period, which was for about a year. There was an engagement process. They were considered tied together. Okay, there wasn't a break-off engagement. Money had been exchanged. And it was just a matter of time before Joseph would come, finish his house, and take Mary in. But Mary was betrothed, and yet she went. Even worse, she was betrothed with child. An incompatible statement. You cannot be betrothed with child in Israel. Because the woman is not allowed to leave the house until they are married, when the husband literally comes to get her from the parent's house. No father would let a daughter go until she had been married. So why is it that Mary went? She went precisely because she was betrothed with child. Mary went because she had nowhere else to go. Mary had been kicked out of her home. There was no home for Mary. There was no place to stay. It's the only reason she could have gone. No father would let her daughter out. Absolutely not. It was too dangerous for her reputation, unless, of course, her reputation had already been sullied. So as Mary is left with nowhere else to go, with Joseph heading to Bethlehem, nine months pregnant, you have to ask the question, is she saying in her heart, this is one big mistake. God, you said that I was going to give birth to God Most High, the Son of God, the one who comes to save people from their sins. And yet, look at this. Kicked out of my home, having to go. The nesting instinct in women is strong. But you have to ask the question, is Mary looking at her circumstances and saying, this is one big mistake. 
And yet we know it was not a big mistake. For did not Micah 5.2 say, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from what, for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, who's coming forth is from old, from ancient days. I want to suggest to you that Mary was able to see through her circumstances. She didn't know how, but she knew who. And so Mary decided to trust God in her circumstances. God may have taken my family, but she gave me Joseph. God may be ostracizing us from this community, but she's, He's given us a path, and that path leads to Bethlehem. The path is hard, but God is in this. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've had ups and downs in my life, as you probably have. I don't know if you're on the mountain or in the valley. But it's easy to look at our circumstances and to feel trapped by them. I'm a victim of my circumstances. You ever said that things were going great and then this came up? The phone call, the conversation, the secret coming out. And it's all over. But the beauty, if you are a follower of Christ, is this. You are never a victim of your circumstances. Because God is over your circumstances. That God is orchestrating your circumstances. The good and the bad. To lead you to a collision with Christ. Maybe you feel trapped by your circumstances. Maybe you fight with your circumstances. Like Mary, you've said, I want you, God. But somewhere in there was a little asterisk. As long as I don't have to change. I don't want my life to be uncomfortable. I want you. And I want the house. I want my family. I want my reputation. I want all the things that Mary wanted. And so I'm unwilling to go. Maybe you fight your circumstances because you have to be in control of your life. And so when God pulls the rug from under you, you fight Him. I must be in control. Not you, God. And the result of that is you leave no space for God to work in your life. As I look back upon my life, I realize in all the difficulties that I've experienced that I am who I am as of the result of my circumstances. It's those that have shaped me. It is those that have led me to understand who Christ is. I've encountered Him. Not in all the happiness and the pie in the sky, but rather in the darkness and in the depths and in the difficulties of life. If you are a Christian, you need not fear the future. For God holds the future in His hands. I don't know if you have seen my recent and maybe heard about my recent fascination with stone, specifically soapstone. I'm building a masonry furnace, a very dangerous thing. You may see a, a something in the news in a couple of weeks of pastor blows himself up in freak fireplace accidents. Soapstone is a fascinating stone. It can only be found in several places in the United States. And that's because it has to be under the ridge of mountains 
where tectonic plates put immense pressure upon it, squeezing it and crushing it so that it can become so dense and yet at the same time, it can absorb heat. You can throw this thing in a, a raging fire and you can take it out several hours later, it will look like nothing happened to it once you wipe it off. It is strong. It has been forged in the fires of pressure. I am very interested in stone, but there was another one who was outright obsessed with stone. His name was Michelangelo. I'm not comparing myself to Michelangelo here. He would spend months at the quarries looking for that perfect block of marble. Because Michelangelo saw statues unlike anyone else. He believed that he was not creating a statue, but rather uncovering it. That it was hidden in the stone. And his job was only to carve down to the skin and to let it be. He carved in secret. He would not let anyone see his technique. Which is very interesting. We know his technique because he died leaving several unfinished statues. A normal sculptor would take a block of stone and he would go ahead and rough out all of the elements all the way around it. So you could have a general form of the stone and then you would carve three-dimensionally from all aspects in order to understand dimension. Michelangelo didn't do that. Rather, he started at one side of the stone alone. And he began to carve. And slowly, the creature, the person, whatever it was, would begin to emerge from the stone. No one else could do it. In fact, it's the way a beginner carves. And I guess also a genius. There's some beautiful statues of, of these unfinished slaves where you see these people literally struggling to emerge from the stone. And I think to myself, I wonder what that statue felt like as it was slowly brought to life. You know, its hand is only exposed. And it's still in the darkness of the stone, and yet it feels life. I wonder if there was fear in its heart. I wonder if there was questioning, because it did not know what was to come of itself. But I think as it felt the knowledgeable and gentle blows of the chisel of the Master. There was a sense of peace that all will be made right in the end. And so I shall trust the process as the Creator brings me to life. The point I'm trying to make is this. That we're just like that statue. And the circumstances are the stone the furnace in which we are forged. Do you struggle with your health? Do you ask the question, why me, God? Why not somebody else? Could it be that the very circumstances of your health is what God is using to lead you to Himself? Have you experienced death in your life? Is Christmas a time of mourning and sadness? Do you recognize God's hand in the midst of it? Do you struggle in your marriage? Does it feel like you're carrying the weight of the mountains upon your shoulders as you try to relate to someone that you don't even know anymore, at least you feel like? 
Could it be that the very circumstances, the difficulties, in the area where you feel like God has forgotten me, that maybe this is the very area where His promise is coming to fruition? Your circumstances are the very things that God is using. So take hope. Even if you are in the heart of a mountain, take hope that God is not finished with you. Take hope and take a reading. Where am I? Yes, I'm trapped, but my hands are free. God is doing a work. He has done a work. Don't fight His plan, but rather surrender to His shaping. Embrace His future in the promises that He has given you. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age. The path of the surrender leads to a collision with the King. So remember for what your circumstances are for. This brings me to my second point. That really what God is after in the midst of your circumstances is your conduct in the midst of those circumstances. Listen to Mary and Joseph in the midst of their circumstances. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You know, if we ever have a Christmas play, it'll be interesting the way we do it. You've seen the Christmas play, you know, when Mary and Joseph come and there's the surly innkeeper. What do you want? There's no room. Turn the vacancy sign and they're turned away. It's a very westernized understanding of the reality of Christmas, and certainly very misunderstanding about Middle Eastern country, uh, culture. Remember, Joseph is returning to his city of origin, and memories are very long in the Middle East. All Joseph did was have to show up in that area and say, I am Joseph, son of Heli, son of Mathat, son of Levi, and doors would open up for him. It was disgraceful not to entertain kin, even shirt-tail relatives. Not only was he of that area, but he was also a royal. He was a descendant of David from the city of David. Being a royal, doors would have been open to him. It didn't even matter how much money you had. It matters who you came from. We even do that in this country. He was a royal he was a descendant of the area. Oh, and by the way, Mary was pregnant. Every culture that you go into, there is a sense of softness for a pregnant woman. Is there no sense of honor in Bethlehem? That there was no space? No, something else is going on here. Where did this idea about no space in the inn come from? It actually comes from a book in 200 A.D., there was a letter called the Proto-Evangelium of James. The Apostle James had nothing to do with it, by the way. There were plenty of sort of uh, uh, books that were written or letters that were written by people who gave their, the names of disciples to it. The author was not a Jew. He did not understand Palestinian geography or Jewish tradition. So, for instance, when the trek from Jerusalem to Bethlehem they said, the, the author of this said it was in the desert, but it was not. It's actually rich farmland in that area. But in this story, 
Joseph and Mary come and there's no room at the inn. She has to give birth. A mysterious midwife comes who does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God and so she has leprosy, is given leprosy. But Mary commands her to touch the child and when she touches the child, the leprosy leaves her. There's a host of strange miracles and things. This document was condemned throughout by the popes and so forth through the ancients. But somehow it made it into our culture that there was no place at the inn. You know, Luke himself talks another place about the inn. In the, word, in the Greek, pandokion is the word for inn. When we think of inn like a hotel or the version. Remember the Good Samaritan? Only place it appears, by the way, is in the book of Luke where the Good Samaritan takes the person to the Pandokion, to the inn, where they go ahead and, and take care of this person. Well, that's not the word that Luke uses when there's no room at the inn. The word he uses is katalima, which is the Greek for upper room or spare room. In fact, Luke uses this term another time. Remember when Jesus sends his disciples to go to the find the upper room where they can prepare their Passover. See, Jewish tradition demanded that there was a room or at least a space for some where you could entertain strangers. They either built it on top of the house or they had a room to the side, another room, at least part of a room because tradition, uh, you know, because honor was taking care of an entertaining family. So when there's no place at the Catalima, what Luke is saying is there's no place in any guest room for Joseph and Mary. Why? Because she's betrothed with child. It's precisely because it was a culture of honor. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph? Can you imagine the anger of Joseph as the snickering comes, maybe outright the defaming Mary's character, as he had to endure that, as he was turned away. You know, the stables, no support. Even back then, they understand the importance of cleanliness. You know, some, one thing that you may not understand is that Elizabeth and Zechariah were not far away. Remember when Mary made the trip to the hill country of Judea? Right up the road. They would have understood. They would have given them a place, a clean place, a place of honor to go ahead and give birth. So why didn't they go? There's nothing that indicates that, that it was that night. It was while they were there. Couldn't you see Mary saying, let's go down the road? No, that's not Mary. And that's not Joseph. Because the baby is to be born in Bethlehem. Everybody knew it. Okay, remember Herod? He summons the leaders together. Where is this Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem, they said. And so Mary and Joseph had a choice in the midst of their circumstances, either to lean into God's plan or to run from it. And we have a choice 
in our circumstances. God either changed my circumstances, but if you can't or you won't, change me. And He gives us courage and strength when we decide to follow Him. Go ahead and roll the tape, please. I had the opportunity to attend the funeral of one of my sons yesterday. It wasn't one of my physical sons. Mind you, he was one of my spiritual sons. His name is Jeff Stables. Jeff was one of the first kids I met when I started up Young Life in the Shenandoah Valley. A pot-smoking hellion of a kid who God got a hold of. Well, he was on staff with Young Life for 13 years. Ten of those in Culpeper, actually 11 and a half of those, and then over in Scotland. And Jeff got cancer. And for the last six months, we witnessed his heroic battle as he sought to honor the Lord as the Lord, as his life was ebbing away. I had a chance to go to this funeral in Culpeper yesterday. The biggest church in Culpeper. Go ahead and play uh, the, the tape if you can. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral. There's two types of singing at a funeral. One is when you sing the hymn, and the other is when you worship the Lord. And as I sat there looking out at these people, what I heard was worship. And I saw the legacy of this pot-smoking hellion kid who gave his life to Christ and gave his life away to these people and heard story after story that even in the midst of his sickness, he was loving, concerned for others, determined to honor Christ to his very last breath. And I had the opportunity for people to come up to me and say, I just want to say thank you for introducing Jeff Stables to Jesus Christ because Jeff introduced me to Christ and my life has never been the same. You know, we have a choice in our circumstances. I want to suggest to you that even if it's in the midst of cancer or in the midst of plenty, you are exactly where you need to be. What God wants from you is your heart in the midst of your circumstances. And when you choose, like Mary and Joseph, to walk with honor and obedience and conviction, you will experience the power of God as He meets you on that path. Where do you get the power to love your wife when she does not feel very lovable? Obedience to Christ. Where do you get the power to own your mistakes and to make course corrections in how you choose to love your colleagues and how you choose to do your business and how you choose to manage your home? It's when you submit yourself to Christ in the midst of your circumstances. This brings me to my final point. There was a collision in Bethlehem that day, whenever it was. The magnificent happens in the midst of the mundane. 
every parent is defensive for their child and thinks they're the best. The difference with Mary and Joseph was that it was true. Yeah, my kid's the son of God. You idiot. But in the midst of the stable, the animals and the smell. Can you imagine Joseph? Maybe the first time he ever saw his wife naked, giving birth. You think they knew when Christ came out and heard the cry? I think they knew. They certainly knew when those shepherds showed up and worshipped the king. It's in the midst of the mundane that you will experience the magnificent. The collisions happen all the time. They're like seismic activity that ultimately leads up to the climax where at the sound of the trumpet, the Lord will come down and all will be made new. If you have chosen the path of Christ, walk in obedience to your circumstances. But keep your eyes fixed open and alert because you don't know when the birth is going to come and when you experience the magnificent in the midst of the mundane it's there you know the beauty is from the moment that that angel came Jesus was with them all along growing in Mary's life in her womb and when we said yes to Jesus Christ did his Holy Spirit not come into our hearts Did the presence of Christ not in the womb of our hearts? Who knows what we will see, whether it's at a funeral in Culpeper or a quiet moment on a mountain or an interaction with a stranger. The path of the completely surrendered always leads to a collision with the king. And so walk the path that Mary and Joseph walked. And you will see him too. Let's pray. Lord, we need not fear the future or the past. For your hand is upon us. Lord, help us to surrender to our circumstances. To walk in diligence and obedience. Even in the midst of disgrace or misunderstanding. Help us to cling to you and your word and what you call us to do and be. Only don't leave us. And give us enough sight, enough manger time, that we may know that we are on the path until that glorious day when you will be revealed in perfection. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.